Good day, everybody. I welcome you to another weekly installment of our Bible study. And wherever you are listening to this, I pray that uh, God would bless you. Um, we are going to be finishing off the story of Esther today and on Sunday. Um, so if you have a Bible and you want to follow with, um, take out the Bible and turn to the book of Esther. And uh, while you are doing that, I'm going to just offer a short word of prayer for us. Lord Jesus, we pray that uh, as we read your scriptures today and as we contemplate uh, your work in our lives and your work in the story of Esther, we pray, Lord God, that we would be filled with hope and encouragement. And Lord God, just to remember, Lord, that uh, you are at work in the background, despite sometimes the world seeming upside down, that you have the power and you've done it before where you've turned the tables. And uh, we thank you, Lord Jesus that you are the greatest example of this, that you died, but you rose again, defeating death and conquering sin for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to dive into chapter 10 of Esther because it's such a short chapter, just three verses. And um, then I'm going to reflect a little bit on chapter 9 um, also. But obviously, I don't want to spoil too much for Sunday. Um, so we'll throw out some thoughts and questions, and hopefully we can wrestle with the text today. So chapter 10 says this, King Xerxes imposed tribute throughout his empire, even to the distant coastlands. His great achievements and the full account of the greatness of Mordecai, whom the king had promoted, are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Media and Persia. Mordecai the Jew became the prime minister with authority next to that of King Xerxes himself. He was very great among the Jews who held him in high esteem because he worked for the good of his people and was a friend at the royal court for all of them. So there's a lot of things that have come out of the story of Esther for us. And today, um, as we wrap this up, we, we look at a few others. Um, just a quick comment before uh, I go back into chapter 9, um, and that is that as I was reading this uh, verse 3, Mordecai the Jew became the prime minister with authority next to that of King Xerxes himself. It reminded me of the story of Joseph, and I think uh, we haven't got time to go into that whole story again, but we remember that from his very humble and disastrous beginnings, Joseph ended up being second in command um, of the whole of Egypt alongside Pharaoh himself. And um, this is where the story of Esther also ends, that Mordecai, the one who was at one point in sackcloth and ashes, is honored by God to the, the level of being the prime minister, um, equal authority or next to equal authority of King Xerxes himself. And so, um, just glancing back at chapter 9, now this is a long chapter and we're not going to read it, but um, we, we encounter in chapter 9 the victory of the Jewish people over their enemies, as well as the start of the festival of Purim. Now, um, if you have a read of chapter 9, and I really would ask you to do that, um, not just for today, but also in preparation for Sunday, you would see that it's very violent. Now, for those of you who don't like violence, it's one of the things that we struggle with in the scriptures because there are many, many parts that are like, you know, violent, a lot of bloodshed. And 
one is left with this dilemma in chapter 9 of, of seeing how the Jewish people kill many of their enemies. Now, there's a debate that's been going on, um, I guess, for a long, long time with biblical commentators, and that is to argue whether the, the, the way chapter 9 is written is implying that the Jewish people were just defending themselves. So in other words, they weren't the aggressors, but were defending themselves, um, versus the Jewish people in their anger were looking for retribution, uh, went and annihilated their enemies. So uh, I'm going to ask you just to hold those two thoughts in mind as you as you read through this. But there there is enough debate about it to to cause I think sometimes quite heated conversation. Um, I mean, let me just read to you uh, verse five. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and then I think you'll get what I'm saying. So. It says this, but the Jews went ahead on the appointed day. Remember, that was the day that was actually appointed for the Jews themselves to be um, annihilated. So they went ahead on that day and struck down their enemies with the sword. They killed and annihilated the enemies and did as they pleased with those who hated them. Now, you see, if, if I'm just reading that to you now, uh, totally without a context of what's gone on before, you could very easily assume that this what's happened is the Jews have now been so angry they've gone out and got their revenge on Haman and Haman's people. Um, because it actually goes through the list of the ten sons of Haman. Um, and um, it, it mentions you know, how the Jewish people throughout, not just Susa, but throughout the lands, uh, get, their, um, yeah, get their revenge in a way, but also kill many, many people. Now, obviously, this leaves you and I with a question. Um, and one of the questions we would ask is, well, yes, there was the Old Testament, and we're living in very different times. You know, what would Jesus have said about this? Um, and the first passage that comes to mind is Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount about loving enemies. Because Certainly, Haman was a huge enemy of the Jewish people, of Mordecai and Esther, and, and his descendants, remember he's descendant of Agag and the Amalekites, their descendants were, were number one enemies of the Israelites. So let me read to you Matthew 5 from verse 43, and then we will try and weigh this up. Remember Jesus says this to those folk who gathered on the, on the, on the mountainside. You have heard that the law of Moses says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust too. If you love only those who love you, what good is that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. So, I mean, there you have Jesus' response. And um, in the light of what's happened in the story of Esther, it's, it's kind of quite hard to, to marry the two. Um, let, me, let me twist your, um, not twist, but, but push your thinking a little bit uh, further and, and have a think uh, a thought about Esther in this moment. Now, 
um, up to this point in the story, we've seen Esther as a definite hero heroine. Um, she's yeah, she's come through hectic times, and she's now able to um, yeah to to stand with her head held high. But here's a verse verse 13 that's also caused some contention with people it says this chapter 9 verse 13 and esther said if it please your majesty give the jews in susa permission to do again tomorrow as they have done today and have the bodies of haman's 10 sons hung from the gallows now you must make up your own mind in this but there's there's one side of the debate that says your looks like esther's is really taking out her revenge, like her anger, um, and and one could say, well, maybe that's justified. There is also um, another thought that's just saying, no, well, what she's doing is asking the king for permission for the Jewish people to defend themselves. Uh, and, and it looks like Haman's ten sons are the aggressors and coming to try and take their own revenge on their father. So... Uh, you know, we don't have a clear answer to this, um, but it's an interesting story. And my first thought is there's just no way I would have pictured Queen Esther being like that. But, you know, um, under the circumstances, under conflict and war times, people, when they seek to defend themselves and their families, they, they do act in, you know, in ways that are very um, self-preserving. One... Um, one other thing that I wanted to just bring to our attention in this uh, chapter 9 is that it mentions three times. It's verse 10, verse 15, and verse 16 that the enemy, I mean that the Jewish people never took the plunder from the enemy. So let me just read verse 10 and you'll see what I'm saying. The enemy, uh, the, the, the ten sons of Haman, son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, but they did not take any plunder. And like I say, repeated verse 13 and 14. Now, um, there, there is a reason for this, and it seems to, this seems to be something that many commentators do concur on, and that is that when King Saul, and now you need to go all the way back to the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel 15, when Saul destroyed the Amalekites, and I'm going to just read part of that because it takes us back. Remember to the original story when the Amalekites were attacking the Israelites on their way out of Egypt. Um, it says, verse 2 of 1 Samuel 15, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt, now go and completely destroy the entire Am Amalekite nation. So that's what Saul was given as an instruction. And so he did he obeyed that, that that message came from Samuel to Saul. The problem was, is that God had given instructions that they were not to take any of the plunder. But Saul was too afraid of the people, and so he let them uh, take the plunder. And then God was very, very angry with that. And then uh, Samuel actually said to Saul, well, you've actually sinned against God now, and your sin of disobedience is as bad as the sin of rebellion and even witchcraft. So there is this strong understanding that the story of Esther makes it clear 
that when the Israelites were defending themselves or waging war against Haman's family, that they did not take the plunder because they wanted to almost right the wrongs of King Saul all those years before. Okay, friends, so I'm posing a lot of questions. I hope that you are still with me. Um, the other interesting thing is that in the second part of chapter 9, the Jews celebrate the Feast of Purim, which we've mentioned before. And now obviously it's not a Christian festival, it's a Jewish festival, but it's a, it's a, it's a tradition that I think we could all learn from, and that is that the, the Jewish people celebrated the fact that God had delivered them. And uh, also remember that the Passover was one of those festivals too, Pentecost. Um, but this was held, Purim was held around about the 13th and 14th of March, or yeah, the, the um, Adar was the, the, the Jewish month, but March is the, the month as we know it now. Um, and, and even today, you'll find that Jewish folks still celebrate um, the Feast of Purim. And they commemorate it normally by fasting on the 13th of, uh, of the month. And then they would go to the synagogue and they hear the book of Esther read publicly. And what is interesting um, is that when the name of Haman is mentioned in the story, people cry out, may his name be cursed or may his name perish. Just part of retelling the story for the next generations. And then on the 14th day of the month, the Jews then go to the synagogue again, and they reread the story of Esther for a second time, and then they pray. Um, and then the story of Moses and the Amalekites from Exodus is also read. And then the celebrants go home, and they have a festival holiday. They give gifts to each other. They eat special foods, and the celebration continues. Now, I think as Christians, we, uh, we have similar festivals or similar reminders, one of them being Christmas, um, although we, we all know it's been sadly secularized in many ways. But we too um, can, can honor that tradition and trying to celebrate Christmas as well as Easter, Ascension, Pentecost, all the, all the Christian um, connected holidays. We can celebrate them in the right way and by also teaching our family and friends, you know, the real reason um, for those holidays. I know it's very cliched, but um, you know, at Christmas time, there's always these posts on social media or postcards going around that say, um, Jesus is the reason for the season. Now, and I know it's cliched, but that is something that as Christians, we should always be remembering um, and trying our best to wade through all the um, secular attention that Christmas brings and reminding people that it's more than just Christmas trees and Santa Claus and um, presents and all that, that there is a reason for this Christian festival. Now, I know that I'm preaching to the choir and you are aware of that, but I just wanted to tie it in with the story of Purim. And then, friends, um, lastly, as we come to a close, um, I wanted to, to just speak about the power or the influence of godly leaders. So Mordecai didn't always have it his own way, but he remained faithful to God. He, he committed his life to God. And in the end, he was raised to a position of leadership where he was able to be a friend of the people in the royal court and basically to, to put other people um, ahead of himself to do the work that God had called him to um, 
by being somebody in a position of power for the benefit of the people. Now, we just have to look at the media today to see the range of leadership that is out there. Um, and sadly, there are many leaders who are very selfish and they only think about themselves and their bank balances and um, they, their lives don't match up sometimes to what they profess. Without mentioning any names, I think you will get it, but in South Africa, we do have a number of political parties who um, profess to be the voice of the people and yet their leaders uh, live lifestyles that are co completely in contrast with what their average uh, follower or constituent is dealing with. Now, that's also open for a topic of debate, but when it comes to us as, as Christians, um, we should always remember that God has raised us up, each one of us, whether we feel that we are a leader or not, but God has raised us up to be in our particular places of influence right now. So whether you are a teacher at a school, whether you are a pupil at a school, whether you are um, somebody who's a member of a sporting club or a craft club, or whether you're in an old age home or a retirement village, or uh, whether you are um, sort of a housewife or whether you are a house husband or whether you're working in a commercial field, wherever you happen to find yourself, this is where God wants us to lead. God wants us to be the salt and light in those places. Now, we know it's tough because we ourselves are not perfect. Um, and I don't think by any stretch of the imagination, Mordecai or Esther were perfect. And yet they were used by God for his purposes. And so as we bring certainly this little Bible study series to a close before we finish on Sunday, I pray that, yeah, we've got to wrestle with this beautiful book, uh, the book of Esther. Remember that this book, and we've said it a few times, is the one that doesn't include any of the Hebrew names for God, and yet God's fingerprints are all over the story. And that just it kind of challenges me um, that, you know, just because someone speaks God's name doesn't mean that they live out his life and his purposes. And we, we've seen that the story of Esther is so remarkable in the fact that God has um, come through and, and God's hand has been behind this entire story. God has answered prayers and, and God has moved in ways that seemed impossible. Um, and so God is definitely relevant and real in this story. And so in our lives too, you know, we may have to encounter people who don't want to be preached to or have scripture verses quoted to them, but they are definitely in need of God um, and God's love and grace. And so how do we then minister to them um, in the midst of that situation? So friends, God bless you. Um, I pray that we would wrestle with the scriptures. Um, yes, sometimes they leave us with a lot more questions and answers, but may we see God in them. I pray God would bless you and keep you, and may he make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, friends, goodbye. Chat to you next week.